Still using SSH keys, RDP logins, and database credentials? It's time to access your infrastructure like it's no longer 1999. StrongDM is the only modern infrastructure access platform. It creates a seamless, secure, and observable air gap between your staff and the critical infrastructure that powers your company. Instantly revoke access to every database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with a click. Automatically log every query, SSH, and cube control command to know who did what, when, and where across your stack. Eliminate credentials from end-user workflows to deploy access that's zero trust and least privilege by default. Trusted by your peers at Peloton, SoFi, Yext, and Chime, StrongDM is the only way to deploy secure access controls in a way folks love to use. But who believes in ad? Check it out for yourself with a no BS demo. Sign up at www.strongdm.com slash get dash a dash demo. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We are coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Sunday edition show, uh, not a Sunday perspectives. We are uh, continuing to roll out a bunch of really, really good shows and want to thank all of you for uh, continuing to, to listen and tell a friend. We uh, Looks like we're going to break a record for uh, most listens in a month here in, in this May. So that's uh, really, really awesome. Thank you, everybody, for doing that. Um, you know, it just uh, kind of reaffirms that uh, hopefully we are putting out uh, some some shows, some interviews, some information that is, uh, that is useful to all of you. Um, so, you know, we, we're still trying to figure out exactly what to do on these Sunday shows when we don't do Sunday perspectives. Um, but uh, this week was was a little bit interesting. Um, you know, typically we'll do uh, oftentimes Cloud News of the Week, uh, the beginning of a Wednesday show. And this week was a really interesting one because, you know, one of the, the kind of pillars of this show when we first got started and for a number of years uh, was VMware. And, uh, you know, not only VMware, the company, but VMware, the technology, the ecosystem around it. And and really VMware was, you know, kind of at the beginning and the end of, of a couple of things with this show, right? So they were really, they were at the beginning of, of completely transforming what data centers could do, the technology underneath it, especially virtualization. And then they really were, were sort of, I don't know, at the beginning of, when cloud computing came along, which which really was was to a certain extent a a a market reaction to IT not being able to deliver things fast enough for organizations, and to a certain extent, it was there uh, as a great resource for uh, on-demand computing for um, you know capital-strapped companies like startups and so forth. But you know VMware and and the responsiveness that VMware had, or lack of responsiveness in some cases that VMware had to trends in the market, has has been a common thread on this show uh, throughout for the last decade plus, as long as we've been doing the show. And this week uh, was really interesting because uh, VMware got sold. Uh, VMware, the independent company, the first time it was an independent company since EMC had acquired it way back in uh, 2004 or five or something like that. I forget which year it was. Uh, but it had always been owned by somebody else. It had been somewhat independent, but you know, majority owned by EMC or Dell or you know something else. Uh, and so this week, uh, the independent company VMware uh, was or is in the process of being acquired by Broadcom. And the reason we're not going to spend a lot of time 
uh, either on Cloud News of the Week or right away, is that the the deal, um, A, it has to close, it has to go through whatever regulatory things it has to do, but also uh, VMware has what they call a, a a go shop. I think it's called a go shop. Anyways, it's a it's a it's a clause in the contract that says they are now allowed to go shop themselves around to other potential bidders. Um, so they may get acquired by Broadcom. Uh, Broadcom put out an announcement saying, "Hey, we plan to do this." It was a sixty-one billion dollar deal. A very you know interesting number. Uh, VMware negotiated the ability to try and go find. A better deal, a bigger deal, if you will. Um, and so we're not going to really make a lot of commentary about this acquisition uh, until it closes, either as a Broadcom close or somebody else steps in and makes a bigger offer to VMware. Because, um, you know, if we do commentary on Broadcom, uh, it would be company specific. If we do it on somebody else, it would be uh, company specific as to who acquires VMware. But it looks to be that uh, the independence of VMware, which has only been now for you know, six months, eight months since they spun out of Dell, uh, that independence is is once again going away. So we will cover it in depth. Uh, we've got a couple of shows planned over the next month or so, but there's about a 40-day window uh, in which VMware is allowed to sort of shop themselves around to other companies. And, and who knows? Uh, we may find that one of the cloud providers or one of the really you know huge companies in the industry, a, a, an Oracle or a Cisco or somebody steps up and uh, wants to offer a bigger deal uh, to VMware. So anyways, uh, that's going to be <laughs> a long way of saying, you know, I sort of did a, a pseudo cloud news of the week without doing cloud news of the week. Uh, but I do want to let folks know that we do plan to cover it more in depth when there's a little more finalized details. Anyways, um, let's get to our show. Uh, this week's a really interesting show this week. You know, a lot of times uh, we will have a chance to talk to people that are inventing technology or we'll talk to vendors and so forth. And we don't always get as many um, sort of end users uh, that, that have a chance to come on the show. And there's various re- there's various reasons for that. Um, but this week we have a really interesting one. Uh, we get a chance to talk to the folks from, from Bloomberg about how they run their massive, massive data network in which uh, not only do they deliver a really interesting value and information to their direct customers, but also a really massive ecosystem. And so uh, we get a chance to talk to um, their leadership about how they go about doing that and, and really gives us a good insight into uh, not only regulated industries for financial services, but also just how a, a huge ecosystem of data is uh, is managed and and delivered on a day-by-day, hour-by-hour, second-by-second basis. So really excited to get to that right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Ravello. Having a hard time hiring engineers? Ravello lets you sidestep the competitive U.S. talent market by helping you hire skilled remote engineers in Latin America. They provide full-time senior engineers with five-plus years of experience, who are embedded in your team like a normal hire. Ravello is an end-to-end solution that handles sourcing, vetting, hiring, payroll, and compliance. They also don't force you to pay for things you don't want, like a project manager. You can interview any engineer before deciding. All engineers are proficient in English and have high time zone alignment with U.S.-based teams. You don't have that painful 24-hour turnaround where you have a question for an engineer who is on the other side of the world. Check out Ravello today. Go to ravello.com slash cloudcast. Check it out. That's R-E-V-E-L-O dot com slash cloudcast. Today's show is sponsored by Datadog, a scalable full-stack monitoring platform. Datadog's synthetic monitoring enables you to detect front-end errors and performance errors by analyzing user sessions and receiving actionable alerts. API tests help you detect and debug user-facing issues in critical endpoints and applications. 
Build and deploy self-maintaining browser tests to simulate user journeys from global locations. Start proactively monitoring your user experience today with a free 14-day trial of Datadog by visiting datadog.com slash frontend dash cloudcast. That's datadog.com slash frontend dash cloudcast. And we're back. And folks, as you know, we we get a chance to talk to a lot of technology companies, what a lot of you would think of as, as technology companies all the time. And, you know, one of the biggest pieces of feedback we always get from people is, you know, talking to the technology companies is cool, but, you know, sometimes it's really interesting to dig into how these apply to specific industries. How do they apply to people that are, you know, putting the technology to work, um, oftentimes combining the things that we we use every day with the things that they build specifically to their industry. And, you know, we wish we could do more of that. And so today is one of those days that we're really, really excited that we're going to get to do that. And today we're going to talk a little bit about financial services industry, what's going on around uh, data uh, in that industry, which obviously powers a lot of what goes on, drives our economy every day, drives uh, the things that other businesses do. And so really, really excited to have Corey Albert, who is head of cloud strategy at Bloomberg Enterprise Data. Corey, welcome to the show. Great to have you on. Great. Thanks, Brian. Uh, So happy to be here on the show today. Where are you joining us from today? I'm joining you from our offices um, in New York City. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, So for folks that maybe aren't familiar with Bloomberg, Bloomberg, obviously one of the most recognizable names, one of the recognizable brands in the world, um, kind of the center of uh, financial information, financial data. Um, Before we dive into the things you're doing at Bloomberg, give us a little bit about your background. You've got a pretty rich, uh, diverse background in technology and financial services. Tell us a little bit about uh, where you've been and, and then really where you're focused today. Yeah, no, um, you know, like you said, Bloomberg, highly recognizable, and it really truly is an amazing company. And I consider myself uh, pretty lucky to have spent um, actually the last 20 years growing my career with um, a company that not only kind of prioritizes innovation, but also donates all of its profits to charity, which is a little less known. Um, But, you know, I've been lucky to spend my entire fintech career in, you know, in two highly recognized companies. Um, I started my career at the New York Stock Exchange, and I, you know, not to date myself too much, but I began in the late 90s when, you know, the energy on the trading floor of the New York Stock Exchange um, mirrored what you'd see in the movies, right? So at the time, you know, we were re-engineering much of our trading floor. We actually were expanding the trading floor, which I laugh at now because that trading floor is, you know, pretty much there for tourists. Um, You know, I spent December 31st, 1999, worrying about what's going to happen, you know, on Y2K, (laughs) Um, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, those those craziness kind of things there. um, you know, I, I switched careers um, to work at Bloomberg really when um, ECNs were, you know, becoming more prominent in the industry and, you know, the traditional models of trading were, you know, were starting to be disrupted. Um, you know, at Bloomberg, I've had a ton of different roles over 20 years. Um, it's a very dynamic company and, you know, those different roles are prob- probably why I've stayed at the company for such a long time. Um, but, you know, one commonality I would say is that I've always been able to leverage technology and what we consider leading technology to focus on solving business problems. Um, you know, in my current role, I oversee three strategic areas in our enterprise data division. Um, you know, the first being our overall cloud strategy is probably why you have me on today. Sure. Um, but our focus there is just ensuring that um, all the data that we produce and analyze is just readily available as you know our capital markets customers begin to run workloads in the public cloud. 
Um, you know, secondly, I, I manage product development for our real-time business, and that's where we provide those same customers um, and a bunch of vendors, actually, with APIs to nourish, you know, mission-critical, what we call front office applications with, you know, real-time access to data. That's that low-latency type of data. Yeah. Um, and then finally, you know, my teams help build strategic alliances with um, vendors ranging from, you know, capital market-specific ISVs uh, that offer trading systems and risk systems, but, you know, much more recently, you know, just your normal, um, you know, software providers and public cloud providers. So ranging from, you know, your AWSs and your Googles and your Microsofts to your, you know, to your Tableaus and your Snowflakes. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, uh, I have a, I have a story about the New York Stock Exchange. I hope it didn't affect you back in the mid nineties. I, I was working at Cisco. I uh, was working with somebody in tech support. I accidentally asked them to turn on a, a debugging command, and I think for about an hour and a half, the uh, one of the trading floors was down. So if that if that affected you, I, I apologize for that. That was my. <laughs> That's, uh, it probably it probably did at the time, but I, I won't hold it against you today. It's, it's um, resiliency is absolutely key yeah. to um, you know to the New York Stock Exchange and to you know Bloomberg and the capital markets in general. Exactly. Exactly. So. Real quick, um, if it's if it's at all possible, and I know this would be you know a gigantic thing to explain, but you know you you talked about um, you know not only providing kind of what I would call sort of first party data to to the internal teams you have, but also you know you you're providing APIs to to your customers, to your partners, and so forth. Like if you had to explain to somebody um, you know the the sense of of what sort of financial data or like the impact of the financial data that, that you provide to people, like give a, help people have a sense of like how widespread and sort of impactful that, that is. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, in Bloomberg enterprise data, you know, we offer, we, we offer customers, um, you know, access to just, a wealth of information, you know, when I'm talking to, you know, like my, like my grandmother, so to speak, right. Sure. You know, everyone says like, how do you explain your job to your grandmother? Um, you know, I say that if there's a piece of data that you would want to trade something, um, Bloomberg has it, you know, in, in enterprise data that is kind of broken down into three areas, I think, um, you know, the first being that real-time streaming data. Uh, we offer that via a product called B-Pipe and that's your, you know, your low latency pricing data um, on, you know, and the, the challenge there is just offering it, you know, really quickly. We're talking yeah. millisecond latency on like 35 million instruments. I don't think the average person knows that there's actually like 35 million instruments that can be traded today. You know, we know probably, you know, Facebook and Google and Microsoft right, and Amazon, right. but there's, you know, there's actually 35 million instruments wow. across markets. Um, you know, we offer intraday data that includes everything, you know, that from, Anything that you need to know on a corporation, you know, um, security master data to help you to define a company or an instrument, um, you know, risk information. Risk is big when you're trading professionally. Uh, regulatory data, sanctions data, very big right now with what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. Um, corporate actions information, pricing information. Um, you know, we also offer... Um, more alternative data sets, news, news analytics, um, you know, data from, you know, your traditional, your satellites and your parking lots. Um, and, you know, increasingly popular these days is um, like ESG data. Yeah. So yeah. No, I mean, I can imagine. And, and, and just the, the breadth of that is is amazing in terms of, like you said, you've got things that, uh, you know, need to be available 
in in microseconds and milliseconds, you've got stuff that's probably very historical that people can run, uh, you know, models on and comparative models, and then you you have a bunch of things that that have to have various levels of of security compliance, uh, you know, authorization and so forth. Like managing that has got to be uh, you know, kind of kind of make your head explode sometimes, just in terms of the, of you know all the different variations you have to think about, and then the technologies that apply to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. You know, if you know, we, we sort of started off talking about uh, you know fintech services that were that were in the '90s. Obviously, latency is a, a huge um, you know thing of, of what you've got to do, but also just volume of data, being able to, to to manage it securely. For a long time, all that was was living on premises, was living in data centers, was living in colos. It could have been you know around New York City, across the river in New Jersey, wherever. Sure. More, more and more things are happening in the cloud. How do you how do you characterize the way you think about um, you know, the way that, that fintech and financial services is sort of adopting the cloud, wh- you know, what are the, you know, where are the areas that are, that are kind of, uh, you know, established and well, you know, well-defined for, for using the public cloud? And then where are the areas that are, are kind of still being explored? Yeah, sure. I mean, right. And I mean, in the financial markets and across, you know, I think many different business lines, um, there were surely hurdles to overcome um, when leveraging cloud. And you mentioned latency, just a sheer volume. Um, but, you know, also when you talk about, you know, volumes of data and the need to analyze that data, you start to talk about storage and compute. Right. And, you know, we have a ton of use cases that are, you know, really I- ideal to the ideal to the cloud. Um, you know, and, and Bloomberg and Bloomberg Enterprise data, we work very closely with, you know, hedge funds, asset managers, and even large banks. And, um, you know, I think many of them are leveraging hybrid cloud solutions and, um, you know, multi-cloud solutions. And they're doing it, you know, quite some time. I wouldn't say that, you know, there's a mass migration into the cloud space. So we're not just saying let's lift and shift everything into the cloud to right. get out of data centers. Um but you know, people are being really thoughtful in our community, um, you know, around building new applications in the cloud. Um, you know, we have a customer that we've worked with um, out of Spain called BBVA. It's a sure. you know good example, and they actually revamped their entirety, their entire equities trading platform um, on our on AWS using our data, and you know they are doing something called volatility calibrations. Um, you know, as, as part of their trading strategy. And in order to do that, you need a massive amount of compute and you also need to kind of stream data. That's what we do on the real-time side um, on a ton of instruments. So, you know, they're streaming data on a, 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 simultaneously like a million instruments and they have to do that with every single tick that happens. And on some securities, those ticks are, you know, thousands and 10,000 times per second. Wow. So it's it's use cases that really, you know, that, that you know, like the compute intense kind of use case um, is really you know, it's kind of great for the cloud for people that are willing to, you know, invest the time and energy into it. Right. Right. And so I, I so the way that you think about, so you, you mentioned sort of hybrid cloud and multi-cloud, mm-hmm. you don't really tend, I, I assume, you know, kind of given the the breadth of, of things that you have to do, you don't get too hung up in sort of what the definition of those things mean. You're really just sort of saying, look, um, you know, there, there's places where, there's there's better technology fit for the types of workloads in in some cases, and then there's going to be you know other things that that maybe dictate locality or uh, you know volume. I, I, do you when you when you think about sort of cloud, multi cloud, hybrid cloud, do you do you spend much time thinking about like does this fit into anybody's definition, or are you really just saying you know best best tools, best architecture for for what's needed, and then kind of thinking about the future? 
Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, I think one of the things that we do are we, you know, we surely listen to our customers sure. and and listen to our customers across the board, and you know, we try to abstract those requirements. You know, in our case, on the real time side of the business, it's that low latency, um, it's that tick for tick data, it's maintaining those really high levels of resilience when you're talking about training. Um, and then ensuring that there's private connectivity, even when that happens within the cloud. Um, you know, traditionally in the financial services markets, there's been a lot of technology built upon, um, you know, finely tuned hardware or you know technology that's somewhat proprietary. Um, so when you know when we think about building for the cloud and building for the hybrid cloud and you know building across multiple clouds, um, you know we definitely have you know our set of principles that we follow. Like everything sure. we do on my teams, and if my teams, God forbid, actually listen to this podcast, um, <laughs> I hope they do, but I hope they don't. In <laughs> the same time, you know they know that I love principles and tenets. Um, but you know from from a cloud perspective, you know I think that. You know, we always ensure that, you know, the core software that we offer for distributing market data, which does, you know, very market data specific things like fan out and, you know, last value cache is a paradigm that's kind of specific to distributing market data. So you can get it, you know, get certain things quickly. Um, we always try to run that on commoditized hardware. Sure. Right. And it makes it easy to run on cloud compute. Um, you know, when we, when we run that type of software, um, which is, you know, the key endpoint which our customer applications connect to. Um, we try to do so as a fully managed service, and we always do that within our virtual private clouds. Um, you know, this is important because we want to be able to monitor it. We want to be able to auto-scale it. Um, we want to be able to ensure, um, you know, cross-AZ or equivalents across cloud providers' resiliency. That's very important. Um, we do things like ensure that anytime a customer is connecting from their virtual private cloud to ours, we do so via private connectivity. So on AWS services like Private Link, on Microsoft, it's things like you know Azure Private Link and GCP. Yeah. I think calls it Private Services Connect. Um, you know the, the 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 one advantage that Bloomberg does have is that you know over the course of you know the four, our forty years of existence, we've built out a massive global network. Um, and that's where the hybrid cloud fits in for us, right? We use a lot of our own technology, um, you know, such as multicast technologies right. um, to get data from those exchanges and those pricing venues to those endpoints as quickly and efficiently as possible. So we do, you know, we, it's, that hybrid cloud is important there because that's where we do leverage those, you know, some more tuned machines or technologies like multi-class or PGM. Um, and then, you know, for our customer facing stuff, that's, you know, like entitling data. That's where we try to have common APIs. We try to use RESTful APIs uh, that we can provide customers. Um, you know, we tend to use web technologies when appropriate. So things that kind of, kind of can scale, um, across, you know, various cloud providers or, you know, kind of geographies or really are almost kind of application location agnostic for lack of a better term. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, there, there, I have to imagine in your role, there's, there's always this trade-off or this, this balance you're trying to figure out between, um, you know, what's, what's going to create opportunities and what's going to create disruption. And, and I have to imagine like on, on the FinTech side of things, um, you know, it could be new regulation. It could be, you know, new access models, you know, more and more people using mobile or, you know, more and more people, let's say your, your clients are working from home because the pandemic happened. And then, you know, you're also looking at, you know, you've got cloud providers who are delivering new delivery models, right? So, you know, an Amazon is saying, Hey, I'm, I'm going to deliver basically like Amazon as an edge thing, like a colo thing. Mm -hmm. How do you, you know, how do you, how do you try and find that balance? Like, it, you know, as you're going through your, your planning for you know, the next six months or the next year, like how much are you having to pay attention to what's happening on the regulatory side of things or, 
the innovation in, in what people would kind of consider, you know, pure fintech, but also kind of balancing that against, hmm, you know, that might be really interesting if the cloud providers or, you know, the, the network providers did this. Is that kind of a constant balance you're having to, to keep up with? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, um, it, it is a constant balance and, um, you know, it, it surely drives us crazy and our engineering teams crazy because things are evolving um, so rapidly. And then you throw in, you know, regulation and sanctions uh, in, or a pandemic or the need to, um, you know, ensure that your users can authenticate when they're working from home um, into the mix. It's, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to plan, it's hard to predict. Um, it makes it makes the job extremely fun. Yeah. Um, I think you know we work in a very agile environment, and you know are willing you know try to pivot quickly on behalf of our customers that make it work. Um, but it's surely a challenging environment, and we definitely look at all those you know all those various factors. Um, you know, over the 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 nice synergies are that um, you know a lot of our a lot of our work. Um, has always historically been with partners, right? I mentioned kind of earlier on the those capital markets, specific ISVs that offer the risk systems and the trading systems. Um, but you know, with the cloud providers and even solution providers that offer things like cloud-based data warehouses atop the you know the traditional infrastructure as the service providers, um, you know, they they are starting to. Um, kind of target um, technology and, you know, explain technology for our businesses or in our business launch, it makes it easier um, and, and, and bring things closer together. So, you know, I think, you know, what we start to do is we start to see the ability to leverage, you know, our data solutions in the cloud to, um, you know, help the traditional ISV providers become more SaaS-like, right? There's a lot of, you know, providers out there that have been around that have only offered on-prem solution, have so much trouble getting right. um, firms to migrate. And and the, and the cloud makes that easy. And us being able to offer that, you know, low latency data as well as our historical data and everything else um, natively in the cloud helps that to happen. Um, but also, you know, working with the cloud providers and then service providers that sit atop the cloud, whether that be like a Snowflake or a Databricks, um, I think having you know a reputation and a customer base that we have at Bloomberg helps because everybody tends to want to help us out sure. <laughs> um, in, in order to get our data in, in their environments. Um, but we see those things becoming so much more increasingly important for you know our customer base, whether that customer base is a really small hedge fund or you know a massive global bank. Yeah. And I have to imagine, uh, you know, Bloomberg being being the size that you are, having the amount of, you know, sort of quote unquote data gravity that you're able to to you know to facilitate for people. Do you do you find a lot of those partners, you know, come to you not only with hey, uh, th- this is how we'd like to do business together, but but like you said, um, you know, hey, we, we've always traditionally been a, a software company, and, and more and more stuff's being delivered as SaaS. Like, are you also having to act as as somewhat of a you know, technology advisor to them as well as, as things evolve? Or, I mean, is there, there's sort of always this learning going on between you and your partners about, you know, how to, how to best work together and, and deliver things? Yeah, especially, I think that, yeah, definitely true, especially in the, in the, in the cloud space today. Um, you know, you really, you know, you can't, you can't deliver 
data without technology. Sure. You know, high quality data um, and you know, transparent metadata is extremely important. Um, but if you can't deliver things quickly, you can't deliver things reliably. You don't have you know resilience patterns. You don't offer APIs with the ability to automatically kind of fail over on your behalf when, especially in a you know a subscription type paradigm, you're you're not going to have a lot of customers. Um, but yeah, no, as we you know as as one of the as I think it's one of the first data providers to offer you know essentially all of our services across all all of the very you know, all the major U.S. public cloud providers, um, we definitely get our customers as well as our partners coming to us saying you know how did you do it how did you make it happen how do we do this hybrid and multi cloud model um, and even things like you know how do we how do we chunk up these or break out these monolithic systems because they are they've built sure. these massive systems you know. Um, how do we how do we break them up into like microservices? You know, can we just can we offer our mutual customers your data with just this specific business purpose service? And we find ourselves working really closely with those types of providers to even, you know, cater some of our um, you know just our some of our data sets to those specific services as well. So you start to see these um, you know these monolithic systems become more service based and more specific towards customer use cases, which I think our customers like and they'll continue to like because. You know, it, it almost provides this, um, you know, this best of breed environment where, you know, you can truly choose the data, the technology and the analytics that work for you for these specific use cases um, without a lot of the lock in that maybe, you know, people have had seen 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, no, that, that's great to hear. I, I'm curious, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, whether it's different companies or different engineers will will look at at the financial services industry just because of its size. And they'll say, okay, um, you know, we, we, I, there's always this saying sort of, you know, if it, if it, if it works in New York city, it'll work, it'll work anywhere else. Do you find that, um, you know, the technologies that you need to use, obviously, you know, Bloomberg is, is sort of famous for, for some of the ways in which you, you you deliver things, but, you know, you mentioned at the core of it, there is, there's a lot of technology. Do you find that most of the technology that, that you need is, is pretty available from from the market, whether it's a cloud provider or open source or a vendor, or do you find that you know at the scale of what you do, you know there's really a lot of work that has to happen. And I, I'm not really asking so much like exactly how do you do it, but I'm kind of curious if you know the the market is meeting you know most of the of what you need to do, or is is there a big lift then to get to you know something at your scale or just the speed at which you know fintech moves these days. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the, I think it's, I think it's twofold, right? Um, you know, we have a, we have a tremendous engineering and, and C2 office at, sure. at Bloomberg with people, you know, based, you know, literally all around, all around the world. Right. And what, what I've seen over the past 20 years is the ability for our engineers, which, which they absolutely love, um, is to focus on those things that make us unique and you know and now it is much easier to you know to go to the market and find um i I don't want to i don't want to belittle it by saying like commoditize to software but you know find find solutions from providers that allow us to do things to make us just run you know run so to speak right like our our engineers don't want to reinvent the wheel they want to focus on new problems like i think it's any engineer right it makes us it makes us tick right it's it's it's, it makes it fun you don't want to just reinvent what somebody else does so you know for us you know we we want to leverage you know 
data warehouses when those data warehouses perform. Um, we want to leverage tools like Terraform for provisioning some of our services across cloud providers. Um, we don't want to reinvent the wheel when it comes to, you know, managing our costs. You know, how do how do we know what we're spending at AWS? You know, we're a multi-cloud right. provider. What you know, we don't want to build things to tell us how we, you know, how we're spending our money or where we're spending our money and how to how to optimize that when those things are available. But what we do want to do is we want to make sure that, you know, we're delivering data as efficiently as possible that we're writing analytics at the top of the data sets that we create and that we make it easy for you know data providers to integrate with our you know with our solutions so I think that's 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 what's changed nicely and I think that you know the cloud does that the all cloud providers have a great catalog it's easy to and just like we have at Bloomberg you know we have catalogs to kind of discover and learn and about our data um, you know these days it's much easier to kind of learn and discover just what technologies that you can you can use um we've also developed a really you know we have we have the luxury of having a really great in-house team to you know help us just evaluate tools look at security look at the risk of using them look at governance and um you know with a name like bloomberg you do have some of the benefits that some of our smaller companies don't have where you know it's, it's a little bit easier for us to get maybe some of the trials for, for some of these software sure. providers sure, sure 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 one last question i want to be conscious of your time uh you know if you were going back and 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 talking to you know twenty five year old Corey and you said hey um, you know if you're interested in the financial services industry you're interested in in, in fintech and, and technology what are some of the areas where uh, you know you you might be like hey that's a really interesting new place to go explore because I think there's going to be a lot that happens there what what maybe advice might you have for you know twenty five year old that's that's listening that says hey I'm, I'm interested in, in this intersection of finance and technology. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess what I can say publicly, um, there's a lot of advice I'd give 25-year-old Corey. There's a lot of mistakes along the way. But um, no, you know, I mean, personally, I I really like where, you know, the financial community is going around, um, you know, ESG data sets, so that environmental, social, and governance, and the transparency around those data sets. Um, it's just one of those things where I think it's, you know, it's good business, but it also just balances just, you know, it's kind of the right thing to do. Yeah. So I always think that that's always fun, especially, you know, you know, in a, when you, you, know, you see movies like Wall Street and everything else, you know, you, you want to try to add some good to the industry. Bloomberg sure. does so with philanthropy, but in general, um, you know, I also just think that um, it's important for people to understand that there's innovation in the capital market space. So, you know, there's a lot in the news around, um, you know, retail investing and uh, crypto and, and payments. But, you know, there's a ton of green space just in the capital markets themselves. There's a ton of automation happening that, you know, you or I take advantage or just, you know, maybe just to you know, the average college student out there, or grad student out there, and when they're trading equities market, you know, and trading in the equities markets, um, that, that automation hasn't necessarily carried over to the markets that, you know, trade those 35 million instruments. So there's a ton of innovation to happen there. Um, and I think just, you know, so for anyone that just kind of likes data and enjoys problem solving, um, you know, there's there's so much transformation that can happen if you just believe that kind of high quality data coupled with, transparency and technology um, and giving that to the hands of decision makers can just move markets, make things happen and enter new markets. So there's just, you know, if you abstract to that level where it's just, you know, let's make good decisions based on high quality data with a ton of, you know, with high quality provenance, you know, it's, it's better for, for all of us in the, in the future. And I think that that's just, um, you know, a direction that I hope 
Bloomberg leads on, and I hope our partnerships with you know the cloud providers and the people that sit atop those cloud providers that offer analytics and databasing technologies, um, you know, can achieve in the next you know twenty to forty years. Yeah, no, that's that's good stuff, and that's a a good place for us to wrap it up. Uh, Corey, thank you so much for the time today, folks. You know, like I mentioned, uh, we always like to have a chance to really kind of dive in uh, from time to time into into industries, and hopefully this was this was very interesting to you. Uh, hopefully, it gave you some some good perspective on uh, you know not only what what Bloomberg does, but also kind of you know the the interconnect you know sort of interconnectedness that we have uh, within within financial markets. So, Corey, again, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for for educating our audience, uh, folks. With that, I'm going to kind of wrap it up. I want to thank. Corey for his time on behalf of Aaron and I uh, want to thank you all for listening. Thanks for telling a friend and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to the Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 